sister's a therapist and I tell jokes. We both want to help all kinds of folks. Hello and welcome to My Sister's a Therapist. My name is Virginia Jones. I'm a stand-up comedian. But my sister is a therapist. Yes, I'm her sister and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. My name is Laura Ryan. So on this podcast, um, we talk about mental health issues, gender issues, things that are just in the zeitgeist, stuff we pick up on TikTok. We give our perspectives on it. My perspective is not always funny and her perspective is not always clinical. This week, it's my topic. And what I would like to talk to you about today is... Are all comics mentally ill? This is, you see a lot of articles about it. Short answer, yes. <laughs> Short, right. Well, like, okay, so you see a lot of articles about it. And everyone I read, people are like, well, you don't have to be mentally ill to be a, like, you don't, it's not a requirement. But like but the helps. poster says, but it helps. <laughs> the, the short answer is Yes. I used to joke about like, I thought I had depression and I thought I'd had a sad childhood until I started doing comedy and I mm. met people with real problems. And, and I do, I do you have don't have real problems and you didn't get raised I mean, in a yeah, I family. Okay. Right. Right. No, it, it, both things are true. Right. But, uh, you know, for every sad story I have, like someone has one even freaking worse. Right. And yes, it's similar to therapists. You know, it, mm-hmm. all of my sad stories are in fact sad, but when I go to a, a training or anything, that's when you that's when you really start seeing what really what happened what happened to all these people. Right. And people don't talk about how every therapist, you know, therapists have a, a, a history of mental illness and childhood trauma, but I think because that we don't talk we don't too. talk about it on the stage for hours. That's the difference, I think. Right. Right. We we keep it to like, ourselves. Yeah. Uh, I think that a lot of therapists become therapists because they want to fix themselves, but for some reason, they think that going to school and spending hundreds of thousands of dollars is cheaper than going to therapy, and I know that it isn't. Correct, but also, I think it's not just that they want to fix themselves. I think it's that they want to fix their whole family system, and they Mm -hmm. want to prevent anyone from ever experiencing the trauma that they have experienced. And they think at the front end, because it does feel at the front end, like you could do those things. But when you get in, when you get in after a couple of years, you realize, oh, wait, I can't fix anyone. All I can fix is myself. Not even myself sometimes. (laughs) Depression affects 8.4% of the general population. Mm -hmm. Um, Does that feel low to you? Yes. I think it's 8.4% of people uh, have filled in a study that said they were depressed, but I'm going to go ahead and say if uh, my ballpark on gen pop is, is probably, I mean, major depressive disorder, probably 30%, I would say of the gen pop, at least of America. So I've made, I've made four lists of comedians, various issues, and there's huge crossover, but I had to sort them and my lists are alcoholics, drug addicts, depression, overdose, and suicide. So obviously, you know, you would tend to think everybody in the overdose category was also in the addict category. Right. But so for depression, people who are still walking and talking with depression, the amazing Stephen Fry. Yeah. Pete Davidson, who also is a person. Absolutely. I think he has bipolar, but yes. Yeah. Bipolar depression and drug addiction. 
and uh, Michael Ian Black. and borderline personality disorder also. and borderline. That's right. I forgot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Ian Black, Gary Goleman has talked a lot about his depression. Patton Oswalt has talked on stage about his depression a lot. Louis Anderson, who we just lost, who wanted to kill himself because he lost a gig on a game show. Like yeah. that's, that's depression team. Like you can't kill yourself because you lose a job. And then, uh, and then Maria Bamford, who is also bipolar yeah, and has other stuff going on. And like, uh, and she is, she's like a beacon, yeah. but also like mentally ill moths flock to like, yeah, her fan base. She's talked so openly about depression and about her, her mental disorders and anxiety. Like she's so open and free about it and, and, and does make it funny. I think that she's kind of, she's the one comic who I really think has done something positive. I think she's a beacon because she's a miracle. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, there's so few people who are that, you know, distressed who could cobble together a career like hers. You know, that's incredible. That's amazing. She is a superhuman person. It certainly feels that way, but like also, you know, in a moment where I believe it was when she had the target ads that made her a skadillion dollars. Yes. And was a very recognizable person on television. She also had a breakdown in Chicago and didn't know how to get on an airplane. Like, yeah, it was a psychotic break, I believe is what you would call that. Yeah. Yes. But so those are my, my poster children for depression and all of them have talked about it obviously publicly. So is there any kind of, has anyone ever studied mental illness, like as a whole in the community, like in the community? Cause I, I was, I was thinking what you were going to say is that 8% of the general population of America is depressed, but in the comedy community, it's like 99%. Like what is the, has anyone ever studied that? Is there anything out there about that? I couldn't find anything. And like, I really think I think one of the driving factors of not having that number is that very few comedians can afford mental help. Yeah. So, true. but there's, there's a couple things that kind of overlap here. So on my depressive suicides list, I've got, so Brody Stevens, who was a big person in LA, who was in the hangover movies, who had worked warm up for late night. And like when he died, it was very hard because like, he was super visible. He talked about his mental illness, but the night before he died, he did a show. And like, yeah, I think everybody thinks they're going to be able to identify the person who's going to kill themselves. And and you, you couldn't, like I had worked with him not long before. Did he have bipolar? What was his diagnosis? Anyone know? I, I know he was depressed. He may have been bipolar. A nice thing that has come out of that is that the laugh factory has started like hired a psychologist to talk to comedians with depression. That's amazing. And, and every year it's really nice. Every year there is a Stephen Brody celebration on it's August 18th, which is only significant because he would talk a lot about being from the 818 area code. Okay. So Charles rocket, Richard Jenny, who was not like, he was a famous road comic. He had done some TV Steve Lubetkin, who is unfortunately only famous for his suicide, he is the guy who jumped off of the the comedy store and killed himself in a very public way. I think there's a couple elements that drive depressed people towards comedy. I think one of them is that 
performance is an endorphin and dopamine release. And I have a joke about this, which is after we started leaving lockdown, a lot of comedians started saying, I can't wait to get back to comedy. Stand-up comedy is my therapy. Right. And it's it's not. It's the drug that makes you forget you need therapy. So I think right. especially like when you're new, like I feel very little anymore, but like when you're new in comedy, when you're like a new stand-up, like the rush you get from having a really good set, like I used I used to not be able to sleep. Right. You know? Yeah. And like just be like energized and enervated. And it was, uh, it was you're, hot. You're pumped, you're pumped with norepinephrine. Right. And it feels amazing. It's not, it's not a lasting salt. So on your overdose list, you got yeah. your Lenny Bruce, mm. uh, John Belushi, who also crosses over into the fat funny comics, Chris Farley, samesies. Yeah. Eating disorder, um, eating disorder and drug and alcohol abuse. Yeah. Uh, Mitch Hedberg who was someone who I, I liked a great deal. Same. Harris Whittles is someone that people may not know. Like he was someone who was, he was so, so funny in the LA scene. He was already writing for television. He was writing for the Sarah Silverman show, but he struggled with addiction and he overdosed on, on heroin, like super young, something like 23, like oh, wow. absolutely insane. And like really traumatized everybody. I think there's a link between that endorphin rush. Yeah. And self-medicating and drug addiction. Like I think, I think there's two things, and I'm not a doctor, but there's two things that that tend to go together. Seeking that rush, right? Because you've got problems, you, you're right. depressed, you're bipolar, whatever, and trying to solve that with comedy. And then also you've got the thing where you've got to numb yourself when it didn't go that good. Uh yeah. Like alcoholism particularly can smooth out the bumps. Like you know, help you come down from the highs, but help you not feel so bad during the, like, just kind of numb you out. I'm interested. I, I'm, I'm interested in the fat dead comics. So we have Ralphie okay. May, Ralphie May, Ralphie right? May. We have Chris Farley. We have John Belushi. I just think it's really interesting because to me, all of it is drug seeking. I think wanting yes. to stand up in front of people and perform is also drug seeking. Yes, very much so. It's a natural mm -hmm. drug, but it is a drug. It's a hell of a drug. But it is a drug. Say. And like Ralphie May, he died of a heart attack, but also had years of drug abusing... and alcohol abuse, right? Yeah. Yeah. Years of drug and alcohol abuse. Like his, I, I saw a very amazing documentary that unfortunately does not have general release called What's Eating Ralphie May that mm -hmm. my friend Kat Reinhardt made. And, and his wife, uh, Lana Turner in it is talking about like, people talk about how fat he was and how much he ate, but they don't talk about all the drugs he did. And like right. the thing that these comments have in common is like this just all consuming appetite, like just trying to fill the hole. If you look at it, if you look at it, ultimately, when you look at an alcoholic, drug addict, whatever, all, all they're trying to do is chase a high. Right. And so yeah. it's just interesting to me that like, OK, I'm turning to food to get high. I'm turning to stage to get high. I'm turning to alcohol to get high. I'm turning to drugs to get high. And I'm also turning to sex to get high. That's another you right. know, choice that all of these men make. So here's my alcoholics, drug addicts, parentheses, food addicts list. John Mulaney. Yeah. Paula Poundstone, who's yeah. a genius. I think I, on the, out of all these comics, she and Maria Bamford, I think are geniuses. Craig Ferguson, obviously former like America didn't know him until he was, he was done with his addiction, but he still has elements of that in his personality. Yeah. 
Doug Benson. Mm-hmm. He is a he is a drug who, addict, but he has made a career a out of his drug addiction. He's made a and like it's very funny, like because when marijuana became kind of like you know personal use marijuana became legal in many states i was like this handful of pot comics that exist their careers are going to be over because there's nothing interesting about this like you know this this drug that you're fascinated with is the same thing your mom takes for a bad back like it's not sexy anymore no but bless him he seems to have retained but like yeah everybody talks about how much weed he smokes a friend of mine was like well you know nobody talks about the 10 to 12 vodka sodas he has on right. stage in the evening right uh ralphie may a food addict and drug addict and then russell brand also on my list of alcoholics drug addicts john candy died of a heart attack do you know how old he was when he died 45 43 yeah, that was close you've got belushi chris farley and john candy and what's sad is like chris farley worshiped belushi yeah. And then lived the same, had the same trajectory. Young, funny, fat guy. With a drug problem. <laughs> with a, with a, with a very real drug problem. Yeah. It feels like a hundred percent of comics are mentally ill. Like, and also when you think about what comedy is in order to get good at comedy, you have to go on stage before you're ready to go on stage. Like you become yeah. ready while, by doing it. Right. And it's so, it's so painful. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, and you have to ask yourself, who would put themselves through that if they right. were mentally well? Who would do this? Who would do this? Who would do this? And for and for what? For the love of an audience, uh, Eddie Azard has talked about the relationships between comedians and their audience and how being a comedy fan, like being a fan of a particular person, it is a very addictive thing because she was like, you know, comedy's this high and mm-hmm. the comic is experiencing it but the audience is experiencing it. And then once you start doing it, that's all you want. That's all they want you to do. Right. Right. So you're mentioning all these people who struggle with mental illness and you're saying, you know, what comics aren't mentally ill. So a mental disorder is considered, the definition is a wide range of conditions that affect mood thinking and behavior. So have you ever worked with anyone (laughs) who doesn't have that? That's an interesting question. Cause like, yeah, why would they wind up here? Like of all the things you could do with your life. It's like a self-sorting mechanism, right? Yes. Our father, who I don't know if you knew this, we have a father, we used to, and we've misplaced him for some several years. Well, I know where he is. He's in my underwear drawer in a bag, but he is in my laundry room. (laughs) He's on the shelf. (laughs) So our father what had major <laughs> depressive disorder mm-hmm. and very much self-medicated with comedy. I think that that's one thing that like resonates with me about Eddie Azard's like assessment, because if you remember, like he would just listen to comedy records nonstop right. in the car and watch comedy movies. And I remember at one point, like there was some, Something he said he wanted to see, but it was a drama, like it was sad. And he was like, I don't know if I can handle it right now. Like right. he would, he would it almost exclusively consume comedy, which as an adult, I find strange. But when I was a kid, I was like, well, this is just what. This is what grownups do, right? They just watch airplane, airplane and trading places over 800 times. And uh, listen to uh, Firestein Theater in the car. Right. And, you know, the sad truth of it is, is that by the time I figured out that that's what was happening, I was already addicted to comedy 
in and doing comedy just circling back to dad i i feel like mm-hmm. you know it, it is not a mystery to me that right all of his children are very much interested in being funny right because that was kind of mm-hmm. in our family you know and the fact that two of our family members are you know interested in comedy and doing comedy in different ways I, I just feel like, you know, out of five kids, you know, yeah. f- four of them like to perform publicly <laughs> on a regular right. basis. So, right. and I think that that was because in our family system, it was rewarded to be funny and to be the center of attention. And I think we had to, because we were raised by wolves, we had to sort of mm-hmm. fight each other. And I think we fought for the stage of life. And I think, you know, to me, like, it makes sense to me that two of us would have gone on to try to be comics because you spend your whole childhood trying to make this right. depressed man laugh. Right. <laughs> trying to shove everybody else out of the way and get center stage. And honestly, I think the the sibling that never sought the stage is because she didn't really grow up with that. Yeah, you're probably right. If she had stuck around a little while longer, she'd be out here doing jazz hands with the rest of us. Probably. Yeah. Well, I mean, although mom, mom was a big support. I mean, Emily did a lot of theater. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's true. I think her Rizzo in Greece was among the finest theatrical it was, performances it was I've a, ever seen. It was a chef's kiss. I mean, she brought me to tears. It was very compelling. She did a great job. The Sherman community players look like shit compared to like that. Ass, they look except like for, assholes. Except for Kyra, she was amazing. It's <laughs> Frenchie because she, she might be listening to this. She was good. She was good. I'm going to give her credit. XOX, Kyra. So now I looked it up. So comics are not, and, and maybe it's because very few comics are full-time, you know, making their living from it. But like right. comics are not the top suicide rate professions. Dentists. You are. probably know one of them. Dentists and doctors is number one. Yeah, that tracks. You know, doctors are always burning the candle at both ends. They're always burning out. But honestly, I have to, so I I know my my mother's brain surgeon pretty well uh, on a mm-hmm. personal level. And if you talk about his reason for getting into medicine, it's it's very much like your reason for getting into comedy. He needed to be exceptional and impress his mother, and that's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. how he ended up there. So I think it's a similar. Again, I feel like does anyone do anything to not try to impress their parents? I don't know. Right. I don't know. Who are these people? And they're going to die. So you've right. spent your whole life trying to impress someone. And I, it's also occurring to me in this moment. I started doing comedy in an attempt to pr- impress my dad. Did it work? No, it did not. No. And then my and then my mom just wants me to have a desk job. Like, so how can I so You're doing both. You're doing both. I'm doing both. You're doing living both the best of both worlds. So here's okay. something I can yeah. say about your mom. As much as mm-hmm. she wants you to have reliability and stability and income, she also mm-hmm. wants you to get attention because then she can kind of secondhand right. take responsibility for that. So my, I think you were getting it from both people is what I'm trying to say. That's true. You know, my mother is never happier than when I take her to a show that I am performing on or like never used to be happier than in that moment where she could take like, and I'm her mother. Right. Um, or when we're doing karaoke and she's there. She loves that. Yeah, she loves that. She loves it. Because it's a it's a source. She can feed off of it. A secondary. Um, yeah, she gets secondary uh, attention. A couple years ago, a, a show in Austin that was going for a very long time called Sure Thing is coming to a close. And 
I did it a couple times. I was glad to do it. Um, one time I brought my mother and at that time they were at the Java place. Austin Java shop. Company, now defunct. But they had a big theater in the back. Right. Big, cool room. And when I met the hosts, they were like, hey, you know, thank you for doing the show. We have a, 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 a tab for the comics. So like, you know, you can have like a coffee or a, a little smoothie or like, you know, it's just a little coffee shop. But like you can have something if you would like. And then yeah. so my mother gets in line and gets herself a smoothie. And then she says, and put it on the comedians tab. And I said, mom, but you're not, you're not, Brandon told me I could. I'm like, but mom, you're not performing. I am. And she was like, oh, oh, but like she, yeah, she loves to take that ownership. I was talking to a friend about my dad's love for George Carlin. Mm. And uh, I have retained all these many years, the last text message on my phone that I sent to him which is that just being out and about in LA, I had met Kelly Carlin and he, he never responded to it. And my friend said, Oh my God, is it because he died? And I'm like, Oh no, no, no. He just was, <laughs> was an a, asshole. It was a solid year between <laughs> me sending that text <laughs> and him dying. <laughs> a man goes to his doctor and says, and the doctor's like, what's wrong with you? And he was like, I'm so sad. I'm so depressed. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I, I really want to, I want to die. And the doctor yeah. says, well, I've got a great solve for you. Um, there's a performer in town right now. And he's the funniest clown in the world. And his name is Pagliacci. And he kills audiences all over the world. And if you go see this guy, you are going, it's going to cheer you up. It's going to be a guy says, <laughs> doctor, I am Pagliacci. <laughs> and, and one more, this is a cool tie-in. Yeah. The Pagliacci yeah. is the theme song written by Rhett Miller for a great podcast called The Hilarious World of Depression, which everyone should check out. Yeah, I think um, as much as we want to resist the sad clown thing, we kind of, we kind of are, we kind of are that. Zach Galifianakis made a whole show about it. Oh my God. And I can't fucking watch that show, even though Martha Kelly is on it and she's so amazing. I've really, and Louis I've really Anderson given, was so I've given amazing. It a, I've given it a shot. I've tried so many times to watch it. But yeah, it's and it's, Zach Galifianakis is so amazing, but it's so fucking sad. I cannot, I cannot I watch it. Also, uh, never forget, like never really. R.I.P. Shakes the glass. <laughs> Bobcat, go. I love. That's amazing. Uh, Bob Bobcat might still be alive. Uh, yes, but also Shakes the Clown is not really a person, so that's <laughs> saying all right. No, he's not. No, he's not. But Shakes the Clown for any comedians and or mental health professionals. A comedian friend of mine pointed this out to me, and I was obsessed with that movie. My father loved Bobcat Goldthwait. I love Bobcat Goldthwait. I'm very happy, very very slight acquaintanceship with him. Um, he's always been the coolest guy. But um, Shakes the Clown is about club comics and road comics and improv comics like the cowboy comics or road comics the party clowns or club comics and oh, wow. uh, robin williams and the mimes are improv comics it's about the three kinds of comedians kind of clashing oh, that's in cool. la that's really funny that's what it's, it's about an, it's an and analogy it also, it's an analogy and it also stars 
the voice of SpongeBob SquarePants. So Tom Kenny. Take that home and smoke it. So in so, closing, yeah. in closing. In closing. So yeah. Virginia, what are your what are your takeaways from today's all over the place podcast? <laughs> I I I think that as much as comedy wants to distance itself from the sad clown analogy the nature of the art form means that it's always going to have a lot of mental illness in it like so yes i think i think the if we can come to a conclusion i think my conclusion is one if you were if you were not mentally ill before you started being a comic you for sure will be after i believe that and i know this is huge swaths of people but i think anyone who is interested in pursuing entertainment probably Mm -hmm. has some sort of mental illness going on or came from a trauma background. Um, Because, because it's like you said, it's such a hard industry to get into. It's so hard to be successful. Like when I think about becoming a therapist, right? So we Mm -hmm. each have, we each have careers that are, you know, attract mental illness. (laughs) So when I became a therapist, uh, what I realized a few years in was, Oh, hold on. I've always been a therapist. I have been a therapist right. since I could speak because I was taking care of really no low functioning mentally ill people. And I think that, you know, there's certain careers that, you know, we were primed. I know for me, at least I was primed to be funny from probably, mm-hmm. you know, two or three years old. I was, I was constantly trying to impress and make these very, two very, very depressed people happy. Right. Yeah. So, so I think that that's it. I feel like, I don't think it's comedy in and of itself. It's, it's the people who are drawn to that are people who have been doing it their whole right. life for, for mentally ill people. Laura, where can people find you online if they want to know more about you or your practice? Uh, they can find me at lauraryan.org, which is my website, or they can find me on TikTok at I am Laura Ryan. Virginia, where can people find you on social meds? You can find me at bidinia, B-A-D-I-N-I-A dot com. That's also my TikTok and my Insta and, and pretty much anything you want. If you have any questions or comments or things you want us to address, please write us at hello at mysistersatherapist.com. And please subscribe to this podcast if you enjoy these somewhat unfocused ramblings um <laughs> two mentally ill women who were related two mentally ill women who, who grew up in the same household thank you so much and like and subscribe thank you bye